Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Hi, I'm Ray, one of the hosts of Silver Linings. I'm here to let you know that the following episode does not have the best audio quality. We ran into a technical difficulty or two, but ultimately we decided to release this episode as is because we had so many great things to say about this movie, so we hope you'll forgive the poor quality this time around. Now, without further ado, here's the next episode. Welcome to Silver Linings, part of the next real family of film podcasts on True Story FM. Have you ever liked or even loved a movie that everyone else just seems to hate? Well, you are not alone, my friend. We look at movies that are often panned by critics and audiences to see if their hate is warranted. Sure, we'll talk about what might be broken, but more important, we talk about what really works in these films with the hope that we change some minds along the way perhaps even yours? So, sit back, relax, and let's take the guilt out of guilty pleasures. This is Silver Linings. Hello, I'm Ray, your eternal optimist. And I'm Ocean. We hope you've been paying your medical bill, because for this episode of Silver Linings, we'll be taking a look at 2010's Reaper. 
It's compact, it's safe, it's comfortable. Everything you want in a new liver. The price, $756,000. Let me just reassure you that our credit department will find a plan that fits your lifestyle. He'll sign it. Everybody signs it. But what they don't tell you is if you can't pay the bills, some union man will break into your house and reclaim our property. I can pay. Sorry, that's not my department. Live up. What are you, hanging out at AA meetings? We got a time bomb. My name's Remy. That's my best friend, Jake. We grew up together, and now we work together. Yeah, it's job's a job. What do you think keeps a world together? It's rules. It's people abiding by the terms of the deals that they sign themselves. How's your pancreas holding up? <laughs> I sent the money in this morning. <laughs> We're always going to be repo. From the RS? Nah. All right, Ocean. So you picked this movie, and I had not seen it. And I got to tell you, I was not expecting to love this movie as much as I did. And whenever I saw the critical consensus, let me just say, I now feel like this episode is a personal crusade to defend this work of magnificent (laughs) art. Well, that uh, uh, warms my heart. I am glad that you enjoyed this movie as much (laughs) as I did. And uh, I I also was uh, baffled by the uh, critical consensus of the movie. And I guess, uh, and but I saw this movie at the time. I, mean, I saw it in theaters and, nice. and loved it then. And it was not a box office success. No, but, uh, and, and to, was really was really surprised me. Um, yeah, it was really surprised me. It had a budget of uh, thirty-two million dollars, and then domestically it only grossed thirteen point eight. It had an international box office of a whopping four point six million. So it had a grand total of eighteen point four million. So it was a money loser, but this was a great... I really enjoyed this movie, and I, I, I liked it a lot. I'm glad we are able to talk about it today. I am shocked, because until you suggested it, I'd never even heard of it. You know, and 2010 was like my heyday of going to the movies. So like, I am just shocked that this is a recent thing for me. Yes, I, I understand. And, and that could be, you know, marketing might be to blame because you know, you hadn't heard of it. That, that may be why you didn't go see it in theaters as, as I did. Way to go, Universal. Um, so I think we should then, uh, exactly. I guess we should just uh, jump right into the critical consensus. Let's do it. Um, so uh, for those that don't know about this wonderful gem that we're talking about, maybe we should describe the premise of Repo Man. So the premise of Repo Man, as put in IMDb, I think actually is a sign of the bad marketing that made it where you had not seen this movie or heard of this movie. The, the synopsis says, set in the near future, when artificial organs can be bought on credit, it revolves around a man who struggles to make the payments on a heart he has purchased. He must therefore go on the run before said ticker is repossessed. And that synopsis does not sound quite as entertaining as the movie or accurate. That is a terrible synopsis. That is an absolutely horrible synopsis. I, you know, I think the best way to describe this movie is the way Remy describes his job at the beginning of the movie. Whenever he says something along the line of, you know, whenever you don't pay off your car, the bank comes and repossesses it. Whenever you don't pay for whatever it is, whoever comes to repossess it, the house. Well, right. Whenever you don't pay for your house, the bank comes to repossess it. Whenever you don't pay for your organs, that's where I come in. <laughs> yes, and that would uh, that is definitely a much better synopsis of the uh, of the movie to give you a good taste and teaser of what you're going to get. Um, so, I think we should uh, just start kicking off by talking about the uh, critical consensus. Right. So, so, what they have over a Rotten Tomatoes. Well, their recap, uh, my my favorite is always is a. Uh, Repo Man has an intriguing premise, as well as a likable pair of leads, but they're wasted on a rote screenplay in different direction and mind-numbing gore. So that's their recap. So there are some good reviews, and so we should uh, discuss uh, discuss those before going into the bad ones. One of the good reviews from uh, MovieReport.com was, Sapochnik, Law, Whitaker, and Schreiber have so much fun with all the extremes, wallowing in their shameless excess with the right dollop of macabre self-aware humor. And MSN Movies has another positive. It says, 
that says, still despite its flaws, this ambitious parable is enjoyable and sometimes viscerally moving. I think that was, for me, one of the better reviews that I saw that was closest to my opinion. Mm -hmm. So, but the reason uh, we are talking about it today is is, uh, partly because of some of these bad reviews. So, uh, the uh, bad reviews, like some say from the Chicago Reader, uh, that this was too long, mean, and gory for me. Though the satirical gloss and well-executed trick ending will probably impress some. And that was, and then another one from NPR, uh, the overused homages and a tacked-on twist ending are just failed attempts to save Repro Men from its own shallow bloodlust. I'd like to save the readers from that guy's shallow opinion. How about that? Exactly. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, then at the dispatch, it says, at a time where a real healthcare drama is being played out on a grand scale right before our eyes, Repo Men seems tritely anemic. So, so those are a few of the reviews that this movie got at the time, and uh, kind of reflects why part of the reason why it was why it was unsuccessful. So those are some of the views that were out at the time, and re- reflects um, the opinions of some audience goers at the time. We might as well just jump right into addressing some of these uh, specific criticisms. So let's do it. Uh, for me, the one of the first ones to me is the criticism that it is gory, right? Um, and so <laughs> this to me really seems to be a strange criticism, right? Because I I think that it's not really a criticism of the movie. I think it's really a, a criticism of the movie doing something they did not expect, right? Um, you know, because in the trailers, when you see the trailers of the movie, uh, the action is outlined, right? And there's a demonstration, you know, you know, with a with a cut that the the repo men are, you know, removing organs. But I just I just don't think that people thought that they would that the blood would go as far as it did. That you would see as much as you see in it, right? And and uh, you know, obviously, obviously, there's the demonstration of you know very crude surgeries. You know that you see on screen. Um, you know the knife fights where stabbings are graphically shown, and of course, death by typewriter. Right? <laughs> so they weren't. So I think that these are things. You know, I recognize that. You know that that I may also be a little desensitized, and the gore doesn't actually bother me. But I think that of the gore, you know, one in the fight scenes, I think it adds a cool style, and in the repossession scenes, it. It's utilized to, you know, make you squirm, all right? And so sure. then instead of you having these little sterile moments where the screen looks at a character as he has a liver, you know, looks at a character who has a liver in his body, screen goes black for a second, now that character doesn't have a liver in his body, right? So instead of that, they're actually showing it to you, so you get uncomfortable with the repossession process as well. And, and I, I think some people may have even been bothered by it's used in a love scene that makes that scene both hot and uncomfortable, <laughs> all, all at the same time. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, so that's that's kind of why I just, you know, thought high level about with, with the gore. And so what, what did you think of the, the amount of bloodshed that you see? Well, you know, you make a really good point. I was watching this movie with the director commentary, and whenever there's the scene where we see Remy wake up in the hospital after his accident with a defibrillator and now he has an artificial heart. And then we see him, he he doesn't want that at all because he knows exactly what's going to happen if he keeps it. And he leaves his hospital room. And as he's walking down the hall, he's pulling hoses out of his chest and you see spurts of blood that scene in particular. uh, The director said the, the sensors, the ratings board, gave him a hard time on saying it was too gory. He's like, that's not really gore. That's it's blood from him taking a medical hose out of his chest. That is what would happen. It's not like the other gore scenes in the movie where, you know, they're in a ship and they're, they find this nest of people that are hiding out from the union and they're just like knifing each other and everything. It's not like that. So, I mean, of all the scenes to, to point out as being quote unquote too gory. And I think that the fact that that is one that was focused upon just goes to show where people's minds were in using this as a complaint about this movie. I think you kind of hit the nail on the head talking about comparing the gore to the 
sterile and medical environments and things like that. You know, this movie is a messy endeavor. It's looking at some messy things and a messy morality, messy ethics. And I think that the gore goes very well along with the things that it's trying to say. This is not a clean business. You might expect it to be clean and sterile and and, and white and pristine, but it's not. It's gory. It's a bloody mess. Yes. And an, another um, criticism of the movie is that it is a great premise that is wasted. Um, I think that the um, in this case, uh, this movie has multiple realistic premises. All right. Is is it a story? You know, what is the you know what is the premise of this movie? Is it a story about believing you are a good person but working for the wrong side? Um, is it a story about the strains that can be put on our medical industry and the horrors of what can happen when medicine is a completely capitalistic endeavor? Or is it a story about the different journeys of two best friends? Right. Uh, because of these different possibilities and really others, um, it's hard to nail down the premise that it's that is wasted. Uh, but I tend to think that the the premise that people are talking about in this instance is the commentary about the medical industry. Right. Um, you know, at the time, so this movie was released on March 19th of 2010. And the Affordable Care Act was signed into law on March 23rd, 2010, four days later. And so at this time, a lot of thought uh, is going into our healthcare system. You know, how it is, what would make it better, you know, and how we want it to be. And so I think that some people may have come into this movie hoping that it would provide a commentary about the healthcare system. And, and you, know, you know, something like, here's what would happen if we stayed on our current course, or, you know, and here are some of the downsides of that state of medicine. And we're also going to say, here are some solutions of ways to that all that can be fixed and avoid altogether. Well, this movie gives you none of that, right? And, and so I think that the, what I think the main premise uh, that people are disappointingly realize is that, it's a story about a man who was working for a company that exploited people at their weakest point. Eventually, he is the one that is exploited. Uh, he then wants to fix this system. And at first, he wants to solve the problem universally, but then, you know, selfishly just fixes it for himself and his new girlfriend. Right. So it's it's giving you it's still an entertaining and driving story, but it's not a grandiose premise about the medical industry as a whole. And, and I think to me, that is. Maybe the premise people think are being wasted. I, I, I didn't think all the other premises to me seem to really be fine. You know, that was exactly my thought, too. I think that the fact that that was a criticism, the fact that they think a premise was wasted, I think that this was not as on the nose as they were hoping or that they wanted it to be. And <laughs> tough luck. You know, I, I might go to the movies and, you know, hope that the next Sylvester Stallone movie is going to be an on the nose satirical piece about President Trump or something. I don't know. But there are expectations and then there's actually wasting the premise, which I do not believe for a minute that this movie did. One of the other um, criticisms of that I think should be touched on briefly is that uh, people thought the movie was cliche or ludicrous. And so I think that, you know, there is an aspect, let's face it, there's a hyper reality to the movie, but that's mm -hmm. to me is fine. That's part of the style, right? So oh, yeah. that to me is, is fine. And then, uh, you know, here, here's an area where like, if you ignore the details, right at a high level, it can be a cliche story where you can be like, our hero starts out as a man who does a job and follows his orders blindly He's obsessed by the job so much that it disrupts his home life and loses his family. He's exploited by his company, now realizes he's been working for the wrong side. He fights back against the system and wins, right? So if you zoom out, you can take that away from this movie. But I think at that point, you're really denying yourself what this movie is really doing and all the little nuances of what each of those high-level points means, right? You know, the, the, his, um, the, his devotion to his job and what it means about him as a person. Right. Where he's not only just, you know, doing the job for for money, but he recognizes throughout the course of the film that you, what your job is, is part of who you are. It's not just what you do. Right. And that he recognizes that that's part of, you know, and, and from that realization that when he decides, you know, he gets to the point where he's going to change his job, 
he's not just changing or you know changing his employment or changing what he does. He's he's trying to work to change who he is, right? And that's only one aspect uh, of of the many different points of it. Where I think that this is not just your regular cliched story, even though at a ten thousand foot view, it can look the same as anything else. Right. Totally grant you that there are some cliches here. Uh, whenever I watch this movie, whenever I watch movies that I'm unfamiliar with, like was the case with Repo Men, I like to go in as blind as I can. I don't watch the trailer. I don't read too much about it. And even going into this movie blind, whenever it started and I, I saw what Jude Law's character was, you know, he was a Repo Man for the Union, I totally foresaw the fact that this was going to turn around on him and that this was going, it was going to be a case of the hunter becoming the hunted, so to speak. Uh, You know, that what part was a bit cliche, but I pose to you, this is cliche always bad. Uh, No, (laughs) it's for one thing, it's going to be hard not to have cliches in any movie you do, but this is, (laughs) This is a genre picture. This is a futuristic sci-fi picture. And you're going to see some of these cliches. And it's an action movie. Is it ludicrous? Yes. And you know what I love? The movie pokes fun at the over-the-top nature of the the repoing in this movie. One of my favorite parts in this entire movie, and it was like, a very gleeful moment for me was whenever they're in Jake's apartment and they're watching TV and the movie Monty Python's The Meaning of Life comes on. And it's the skit from that movie where the liver donor people come to extract a liver from a living guy. (laughs) They cut him open. (laughs) Have you ever seen that movie, Monty Python's The Meaning of Life? I I haven't seen the movie, but I didn't recognize that the skit on the television was really on the nose. That movie is great. And the skit is just over the top ridiculousness. It's these two guys from the health field that come and say, Hey, we need your liver. And they cut the guy open and take his liver out and he's screaming and it's ridiculous. And just the fact that they put that in there is saying, Hey, they're self-aware. We know what we're doing. We know that we're a little over the top, but we have a statement to make as well. Yes, I agree. I also find that for me with the turn, this as adjusting that, that part of it as well, when he turns from, you know, his wife wants him to become go into sales and stop being a repo man, and then he doesn't. He's not able to successfully do that, you know. And he has an accident that befalls him, where then he then becomes a patient and has the artificial organ put in him. I think that for me, the the slight difference or twist to me with that was, even though the turn was is, is was expected, uh, to me it was interesting that it was a process that was done to him. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of times when I when I think of movies where that turn happens, it's more of a, you know, that you're the eyes of the the hero when he turns are open because, you know, either things aren't the way he thought they were or he has evolved and changed in his thinking. Where really with Remy, uh, Remy in this, his turn comes because he, uh, without any you know knowledge or, or, or asking to, has one of these devices placed in him. And so basically it's like, you know, you would have died without this. That was an option. But uh, so you could live here. Here's your heart. And here's your, what, $800,000 bill. <laughs> right. And I think that that was, you know, that's a slightly different way to get to that same point. But it does definitely get you to that same time. Totally. Totally. So we've so, taken a look at the criticisms that this movie has received. And for the most part, if not completely, they are aren't really warranted in our eyes. So let's take a look at what is good about this movie. What works? Easy place to start really is in the beginning. Um, You know, the opening sequence works, I think, on multiple levels. Um, The opening sequence is, you know, really we're seeing a repossession scene. And um, I think one of the benefits of the opening sequence is, well, yeah, what I think one of the benefits of, of, of that is, 
let's say you haven't seen the trailers or you're not super familiar with this movie, you actually are coming in blind, right? Because really what you see is two people that have been out on a date and they're going to come home and then they're feeling amorous and they're, they're, about, they're about to hook up. And Remy, uh, Jude Law, who plays Remy, is our star, is standing in the man's living room. And, you know, says, you know, basically the guy, you know, he says he's from the union. The the other actor character who, you know, right, at, actually at this point we don't know anybody's names, but the other character, who is not the star, um, says, hey, I can pay. And then Remy goes, well, that's not in my department, and then shoots him with a stun gun, right, to then knock him out, right? And then at that point, you know, so it, it seems to be that, you know, so far then, if you, especially if you're coming in blind, well, two, and then the, the woman starts to kind of hit and attack Remy to say, stop, get away There's from no need really for violence, man. There's, no, right, there's no need for violence, right? Yeah. So he has a great line with that. There's no need for violence, ma'am, Al. And then he has to stun her to get her to, to stop hitting him, right? And then, and you still really don't fully know what's going on. And then, and then he says, you know, the lines of, hey, I'm supposed to ask if you want an ambulance. And at that point, you're like, oh, well, whatever is going on is bad for the guy on the floor. And then the, the movie proceeds to show not have an have a operation, mm-hmm. right? He, you know, it has a scalpel, cuts it open. It, you know, it introduces you to the amount of gore and blood that you're about to see in this movie. And, and then, you know, it takes out his fake liver and then, you know, puts it in a, in a Ziploc bag. Or not a Ziploc bag. What is it? A freeze, you know, one of those freezer bags things, you know, that compresses, takes all the air out of it, puts it in a box and drives off and then gives that wonderful opening that you uh, mentioned before to describe what he does. And meanwhile, he's and, doing this while listening to Rosemary Clooney. <laughs> Exactly. Rosemary Clooney's Sway. It was a great, <laughs> yes, which is a very entertaining and upbeat song. So yeah, it is, it is the most upbeat extraction of a man's liver who will eventually die uh, soundtrack that you will ever hear. Uh, so yeah, so, th- so that opening, I think to me, worked on the multiple levels of not only A, showing you what type of style of movie you're going to see, kind of what the, t- sets the tone of the movie, and in a really short amount of time, it gives you enough information to say, okay, I understand my main character and the world we're living in, so let's see where the story goes from here. Totally. Totally. That is uh, a, an excellent opening sequence to a movie. And as somebody that, again, did come into this movie blind, this mo- this, <laughs> I loved just going on the ride of this opening sequence because I'm like, what is going on here? What are they doing? And then he comes out of the shadows, completely takes me off guard and says he's from the union. Like, what is that? What is so yeah, a terrific opening sequence. Like you said, really sets up the movie. Well, one of the better opening sequences of films in general, I think. Yes, I enjoyed that a lot. And but the I guess another I guess another thing to then also discuss is the movie as a whole, as far as other parts are good about it, about the 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 moral or ethical examination of, of what is going on in this movie. Oh totally. To me, this is what this movie is all about. When you get down to the nitty gritty, this is what makes this movie powerful, meaningful because it really shows you a moral conundrum in the life of this man, Remy, played by Jude Law. He is a man who really has a scumbag job. You see this guy and you're like, you have no sympathy for this man. He's working for a company that is offering people something that they need to live, but really taking advantage of them by making them pay through the nose, knowing that most, if not all of these people are eventually not going to be able to keep up with the payments and therefore are going to have to be repossessed and ultimately die because they cannot live without that organ. And you have this guy, two guys really, that do this job and they're totally okay with it. As a matter of fact, one of the recurring lines that they have is a job is a job, right? And, and the, the they in this is Jake, his name, the character is played by Forrest Whitaker, right. who is Remy's best friend. I should have and, specified. And they are both uh, repo men, and I actually and wanted to lay that foundation for later on. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I get going, and I forget that we're actually talking to people, not just you and I here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We're not just going like, well, did you see that part of the movie? <laughs> <laughs> we ought to just do one episode of Silver Linings. This just 
completely yeah. ambiguous about everything, you know, like exactly. Yeah. But then, hey, remember that part? Remember that thing? Wasn't that cool? Yeah. But anyway, so <laughs> you have these two guys. You have Remy and Jake. That this is their life, and they don't question whether it's right or wrong. This is how they hang out. They're best friends, and this is what they do. They repo these organs. And it's not until Remy gets into the accident with the defibrillator and winds up needing an artificial heart himself that he is forced to empathize because now he's put in the position of all the people that he's had to repossess organs from. And he knows exactly. I love Jude Law's performance in this movie because when he wakes up from being in the coma and he sees the scar on his chest from the implant, the shock on his face, the revulsion, the absolute need to get it out is just palpable. He is starting to realize that this is no good. And obviously it's going to start with a more selfish approach because now he's the one that's in the thick of this. And then, so he's trying to go about, he, he tries to fool himself into thinking that this might be able to work go about business as usual, go back to work. And whenever he goes back on his next assignment, he really has trouble taking the organ from his next client because he now is in the same situation and he's finding it more and more difficult to do his job, to to ultimately take life from these people if we're not going to mince words. Yes, I also think that everything you said is a good, powerful Part of the movie and really kind of sets up part of the you know the ethical examination of that character. I think though the other thing that would be that really adds to the adds to it is the layering of uh, Jake's character, right? So Jake's character, uh, sorry, Jake. So Forrest Whitaker plays Jake. So Jake, he is Remy's best friend, right? And they've been best friends since they got into fight in the fourth grade. And from his perspective, they, you know, they're doing this job. He loves the job. He likes the money. He enjoys doing it. He doesn't have, he and Remy are actually on the same page early on, not having any ethical dilemmas about it at all. And Remy's wife already, who is really the, the, the you can argue in some cases here, the voice of reason, you know, in, 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 in this part, in this phase of the movie, anyway, the, the, the voice of reason, which is his, Remy's wife, Carol, played by Carice, uh, Carice, yeah, Carice Van Houten. I'm not sure how to pronounce Good that. enough for me. Good, yeah, I'm not sure how to pronounce <laughs> that name, but I, I may have killed that. So she's really early on saying, hey, this being a repo man is a bad thing. You should get out and get into sales. So you make just as much, you make the same money, but you don't have to, you know, cut people out, right? And Jake sees this really as a threat to their friendship, right? Because he wants them to kind of stay together, to stay being friends, their partners, to keep the job going, keep the money train going. Everything is great. We're having the time of our lives. Why rock this boat, right? And then turns out, um, it turns into then that Jake, realizing that this threat is really going to happen, you know, convinces Remy to go on one last job in a uh, great scene where he has to uh, repossess T-Bone's heart, played by the RZA from the Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, Wu-Tang. <laughs> um, and then and in that, that's when the accident happens to Remy. And it's really an accident only in quotes because we, as we find out, Jake caused this to happen. He did. And he caused the, uh, the he caused the a negative charge on his defibrillator that then created the scenario where he gets knocked out and then he, you know, in the hospital and is, 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 is has been damaged. And from his mind and his perspective, this meant that, oh, well, now that you're going to need the money and you're going to have to do, you have to, you need more money. You got to keep doing this. So we're going to be repo. So we're going to stay together and still be best friends for, you know, still be best friends. Right. And, you know, and, and, and keep the, you know, from Jake's perspective, the party train going. Right. And to me, that extra layer of it is it creates two different perspectives on that story, right? From one, one story is a story of growth where he's realizing that, hey, he's been doing the wrong things and he should change what he, what he does or change who he is. And his, his friend who is like, well, no, this is the right thing to do. Everything should keep going the way it is. 
And I want to hang on to this so much that I'm willing to hurt you in order to keep you here with me. That is uh, another, that's the thing. The moral and ethical dilemmas in this movie, there's not just one. Each character is dealing with one, at least one. And (laughs) right. And, and Forrest Whitaker, I really, really love each character's arc in this movie because Forrest Whitaker, he's been living the dream basically with his best friend for all these years. And it's like, he, he senses that the dream is going to die. It's going to fade away. And he doesn't want that to happen. And it's like, you think to yourself, what would you do to just be able to keep living the life you love to live? It's it's hard to, to say that you would make the right decision. He makes a really wrong decision. (laughs) He causes his friend a new heart. But, but but even then you could, uh, even though when you find that out later in the movie, that he was the cause of that, the intent wasn't that the damage would be that bad. Right. right? And so, so yeah, so he said he has, you know, some some compass in there where he's like, I don't really want to damage you as bad as you got damaged. I just wanted you to stay, stay repo, right? <laughs> you, you know, and then and so you're not cut out and, for and, sales. And, Come on, exactly, exactly. You know, I, 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 always think, I think they even say repo for life in there somewhere <laughs> in there, like it's like it's a gang membership or something. But that's what they were going to. They do. need to get matching tattoos. Right? They do, they do. So one of the, uh, the one of the things though that I think are less fraught with the, these, the, the ethical situations of things, and I wonder what you th- thought of their arc, was um, so uh, Beth's arc, uh, the Alice Braga, where she's the uh, you first introduced to her as a singer uh, in, in a lounge and she's just singing, you know, she's singing I think it's Cry Me a River. And it, it's not the Justin Timberlake version, which disappointed me, even though the Justin Timberlake version I think came out a few years ago. But, but I, exactly. But, but, I, but I digress. Um, and so... Um, the, she, she's singing that song, and then, then you know, time passes and everything. But once he, once Remy, then now has his artificial heart and has decided that he is, you know, basically not going to pay. He can no longer stomach doing his job of repossession. He's not cut out for sales. He doesn't know what he's going to do. He just knows that he has a ninety-day window before a repo man comes to try to take his heart from him. And on the last, on day eighty-seven of his ninety days. He, you know, sees Beth in, in the street. It looks like she's, you know, uh, suffering from either not, not really heroin overdose, maybe more heroin withdrawals. Like, it's definitely a drug withdrawal. I just assume heroin, but they don't really say what it they is. They do have a name then, for know, the drug, but it's like made up, and I don't remember what it is. Okay. Yeah, I just I, I didn't remember the name the name of what it was. Yeah, but so, and then she takes her into a hotel room to basically detox her for a couple days. So his last... His last couple of days in, you know, in basically freedom, where he's not going to be being chased by repo men, he then decides that, you know, I guess maybe here he wants to do the one selfless act, right, of trying to help help another person and save someone else. Where normally, whenever he sees anyone at these low points, he's just there to, you know, take that liver that they couldn't afford to pay for anyway and put them out of their misery, or take their heart, or you know, or anything like that. And so he, it's 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 a moment of she becomes a vehicle for him as a moment of, of redemption. And that like, and he's able to then really kind of refocus his life on a different task, not because it helps himself, but because he realized that he felt the, he felt a lot of benefit for him personally by helping someone else. Right. And it's interesting that it's her because Beth is a really interesting character because I think everybody knows somebody like Beth, if not personally, I think at least has seen somebody like Beth, because for one thing, she's a a drug addict and she is having issues with drug addiction that have led to numerous uh, organ transplants. Not only that, but she's the kind of person that does not seem to care about her situation getting worse because the only thing she really cares about is, you know, living the wildlife, so to speak. And I, I think that it's, if you wanted to look at this movie from the perspective of being a, a satirization of healthcare, then 
I think it makes sense to have this character in there because people often talk about people that take advantage of the system because they're <laughs> overdoing it. You know what I mean? See, I see what you're saying with that. I think though that her character does have some of those some of the tendencies, but then also on the flip side is one who is I guess she because she, she's getting her her artificial knees and shoulder blades and ears and eyes and everything like that off the off the black market and, you know the <laughs> underground market for the uh, you know the underground market for these different you know for these different organs and body parts and things like that but yeah she is I think she would be kind of two sides of that I think she represents both sides of that coin there's one where yes some of her life choices have created a situation where she would then potentially take advantage of the you know of the healthcare system right which this healthcare system you can't take advantage of because you know you're paying for everything you're paying through those everything but on the flip side uh she's also uh should also be a character that doesn't have access to doesn't really have access to the healthcare system. she doesn't have the financial means and wherewithal to really improve her life in, in a legitimate way where she could you know get these get these organs or get these body parts you know the, the legal you know, through legal means pay for them and then and then and then move on and try to improve her life so she really i think is kind of they're trying to show both sides of that through her through her character and let's face it she's sweet right and so yeah. then it becomes a thing of where no matter which way you think about her her personality comes across and you know honestly alice braga's performance on it comes across where she's she's a very sweet likable person whether or not you would you know, whether or not you have any issues with her life choices. Yeah, she, she does. I mean, there isn't an actor in this movie that doesn't play their role well. And she does very well in the role of Beth. Actually, I think she does a really good job going from the person that he finds who is just all messed up on drugs to going through the withdrawal symptoms to ultimately becoming somebody that, like Remy, you can come to care for. Yes. And so I think then that we would be, remiss uh, before we talk about the, the next topic, about kind of uh, really setting up where we are in this, at this point in the movie. So when uh, Remy now has realized, uh, Remy and Beth have gotten together and, and Remy's realized, hey, well, my heart is going to be repossessed and I'm going to die. And if they catch you with me, they're going to kill you too. Because you have, eight, I think she had eight or eight different, you know, different artificial or, or <laughs> at least or either organs or body parts. Yeah, because she had like e fake ears. Fake, She's yeah, basically she had, like, ears, the bionic knees, woman at this point. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, she had a lot. She had a lot going on there, and so um, you know, and that they decided that the way he he feels then that he is now going to leverage his knowledge of the system, or at least attempt to, sure. in order to evade repo men and then eventually escape. Right. And be able to, you know, he goes back to, you know, try to goes back to his office to get jammers, uh, these little jammers that people can hold so that you won't register on a repo men's scanner that you have, you know, artificial body parts. Mm -hmm. And so then they're going to escape and go, through, you know, escape going by via a plane, which as, as Beth, you know, says, well, that never works. Right. And then, uh, you know, so once that fails, so jumping ahead, they then try to escape by from the airport. That fails. Fails in a very, um, you know, a somewhat, you know, since the gore is part of the issues, it is a somewhat bloody fight scene that occurs in the middle of the airport, um, you know, when they're pulled across by security. But that's, you know, that's part of the fun of the movie. When that fails, they then, you know, go go in there on the run, run some more. And eventually what we um, think is going to happen happens, right? So they have, they've already sent one repo men to repossess his heart. That, Remy's heart. That doesn't work. Remy kills him by typewriter. Yes, that, is, that, is, that is how he died. And I'm not saying anything else. You got to see the movie. How did he die by typewriter? So that's how I want to uh, go. And then exactly. <laughs> and so, and then finally, Jake is then tasked with having to go track him down. And they they uh, they track. So Jake tracks him down. They're in a, I believe it's in a warehouse, and then there's a, you know, there's a fight scene between the two of them, and uh, you know, there's a fight scene between the two of them. Uh, you know, Jake is winning the fight, uh, but you know, Remy has Remy still has a little fighting chance, still has a little bit of gumption in him, still stabs him in the leg to you know back him off. Uh, Beth is coming at him with a stun gun, and then Remy is knocked out, 
right? From he's you know the because Jake the end of the fight Jake you know hits him with I don't know what that was it's like a little crane like the hook on a crane right it hits him with that and Beth tases uh, Jake and and Remy is knocked out and then you know then you have a lot, a lot of flashback scenes of where you're seeing things about you know his family and like decisions he's made and everything and then Beth then wakes wakes him up and at that point then Remy comes comes around and decides he wants to have the master plan of raiding the entire office suites and taking everybody's name out of the system so nobody's livers or nobody's parts anymore will be repossessed and everybody will live happily ever after. Oh. Right? And that then becomes exactly and then that becomes their mantra and their mission moving forward. So then break into the office and and, and do that, right? And so and here really is where uh, a lot of the, uh, you know, in that turn where it becomes much more of a of a hero epic, right? Uh, you know, that he's now he's now moving more towards the, you know, more towards he's going to save the day, he's going to save humanity, he'll be, there'll be parades in his honor, and, and everything will be well, right? And then, you know, they finally do get to, uh, you know, get to the, the, get to the main, it's called the pink room, which I thought was an interesting choice <laughs> to, to, to call to call it the pink room. That just seems, you know, like is everything else about the movie is very sterile. So I would expect it to be, you know, like the big room with all the white, the lab coats was all white. All the guys in the lab coats making the you know, making the the different organs. I thought it would be in a different color, you know, like it would be more like the the, the, the white room or the black room or something like that. <laughs> something more sterile. And pink sounds kind of fun. Like, hey, this is a fun <laughs> room. Fun things are happening. All right, <clears throat> but. <laughs> But it's not. It's where you know the main room where, where all the body parts when they when they repoed are taken to, and so in this sequence uh, they you know they get to the pink room. They fight through a bunch of uh, other repo men to get there. Uh, they they finally get there and they're going to then repossess. Uh, they then realize that they don't have the ability to turn off the whole system. That they have to repossess their own organs that are in their in their bodies. And which Woof. you then see where they, yes, it's, and that's, and this is where you see that rough scene I was mentioning before, where they then decide that they're going to, uh, you know, they start kissing because they're, they're, you know, they're expressing their love and affection for each other while at the same time mutually cutting each other open and sticking a device inside their body to scan their organs that are inside themselves, you know, a heart, a spleen kneecaps, all sorts of things to then re- to have them show up as repossessed so then they can live they can leave and then live happily ever after together. BDSM um, ain't got nothing on this baby. It does it does not. <laughs> so <laughs> and so and so I'm saying all of that say then and then what we have is uh Jake shows up and he's going to stop them uh but changes has a change of heart and decides that hey ask Grammy his friend is she really worth it? And then decides that he's going to help them escape and live. And then they go off onto the beach and, and they're living happily ever after. And this is where the movie has what I think is the third and the one of the best things about this movie, which I'm now going to completely wreck for you if you haven't seen already, is the twist. <gasps> and the twist is amazing. Where you were following that adventure that I described. And then it turns out that the last 20 minutes of the movie that you've been watching... As he's gone off on this hero adventure, and you've been with him the whole way, is none of that happened? That in the fight in the fight scene before, when Jake uh, knocked Remy out, or so you thought, as Beth woke him up, turns out Jake knocked him into a coma, and that now he has been he has a, a device, it's MI five, which they've been they forced it's been foreshadowed in right, but there's neural a, a neurological device, the neural net, thank you, a neural net device in his head that then has it where he is in a dream world. And this story that has gone through is the dream world. And so I think that that to me was, at least for me when I saw it the first time, was a visual, almost like a gut punch reaction. Like, oh my goodness, none of that was real. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and how, yeah, right. So it was, it was, it was amazing to me that it was fake, that it was, that none of that had really happened. And that it basically, when we went on this nice adventure, um, he was just laying on the floor. And so I think that the breaking down kind of why, the twist is surprising. It works, right? So when uh, you know when when it first happens, okay, you think that uh, you know Jake just hit him with the hit him with the crane, and then uh, you know Beth shot Jake with the stun gun, and they woke up and everything is fine, right? And so the, the thing is, though, from here on, I think 
why it works in the movie in real time is that when when you see that in that in that, that piece in the movie, from then on, all the other characters start acting the way you think they should act. Right, Remy's wife is now become more supportive and brings his son, and they have a hug and a nice exchange, and he gives him the the his his memoirs that he's been working with. Uh, Jake puts Remy's relationship with Beth over being just repo, right? You know, and that they make it through the fight scenes and they kind of get to where they were, and and you are at that point with with them th- that whole way, and I think that it works because when you're viewing it, you want it to work. Right, because up to that point, up to that point in the movie, Remy's life is conflicted. Right, he he's taken advantage of, he's taken advantage of other characters. Um, he, you know, everything about it is complicated. You're not really sure where you're, you know, where you really kind of stand on him or a lot of the other characters. But I think that it really then it hits it's home to more powerful because the twist will hit you more because once. Once the starts going off into the dream world, well, now everybody's acting the way you expect or the way you would want them to be. And the movie seems like to be a much more fun, entertaining thing. And you're like, hey, we're going to go on this hero story. And then you're hit with the punch of, oh, he's in a coma the whole time. And that's it. Man, what an ending. And as you were explaining this, I, I, I just kept thinking back to that one criticism where somebody said, tacked on twist ending like how does that feel tacked on i mean that seriously that is very well woven in man and that oh that caught me so off guard i had a huge wtf jaw on the floor moment man whenever it turns out that this was not real i mean oh wow and Going back to the moral and ethical examination of Jake, you know, that just goes to, you know, show you more about him. Did he really do right by Remy whenever he messed with the defibrillator? And regardless of where you stand on that, I think it's obvious that ever since the accident happened and he got the replacement heart... Jake has been trying to do right by Remy, and this was his last-ditch effort to do right by his best friend. Yes, by paying for and uh, paying for and having it set up where he would have the uh, neural net tied into him, where he would be able to live out the rest of his days in a perpetual fantasy. Um, yeah, I think that I I think that the other half. Um, or they made that half, probably just a third of what I thought made that twist work on multiple levels was that you then come to realize that Jake, who you've been, you thought was weird in the beginning of the movie because he was a little too big of people's organs, and then as the movie progressed, he's basically becoming the bad guy, right? And so you're rooting against him the whole way. You're rooting against him, and he's the bad guy, and you don't like him. And then at the end, you find out that, you know, while you may not agree at all with the decisions or choices the character made, he was making choices because he just wanted he wanted his friend and he wanted his friend to be happy. And when he realized that it had come to this, where by you know putting him in puts him in a coma, makes it where his friends can't you know is either going to be laying in this vegetative state, he can then find one last way to make him happy. Um, another layer of that too, which you, you, know, you can think about as well, is you know, since they, these are skilled killers, was that part of his goal? Was to only put him in a coma or something or damage him to that level and not kill him? Because right. he could have killed him. He could have killed him then, put him out of his misery and taken the heart out, right? But by putting him in a coma, it does create a scenario of he is still alive. He's in this dream state. And, you know, medical, you never know, maybe medical advances in the future fix him and he can get his friend back, right? But he's he's created kind of this weird almost like a fantasy world of at least my best friend is happy and maybe eventually he'll come out of this and we can you know hang out and you know be friends again but either way i don't want him to suffer at any point at any point through this even though most of what happened at this point right. is my oh man and one of the parts of that end sequence that 
really stands out to me that really kind of shocked me, to be honest, was whenever they're, they're in that final room, Remy's cornered by Jake and by Frank, played by Lee Schreiber. Uh, Frank is their boss. And, right? and just as, you know, it looks like it's curtains for Remy, and then all of a sudden, Jake turns and stabs Frank in the throat. That was, oh man, that was crazy to me. And it just made me wonder what, because obviously it didn't happen. That was part of the illusion within the neural net. But it just made me wonder what is the relationship now in the real world between Jake and Frank? Because I think that Jake, while he's not like over to Remy's side where Remy was basically ready to start a revolution and free all these people that had uh, past due organs. I think that Jake does have uh, a certain empathy or sympathy. I think Jake has a certain sympathy towards these people now because of his friend having gone through it and having taken all these steps to try to make things easier on Remy. Does that make sense? It does. I hope you're right. But I think that the Jake's empathy and sympathy was specific, right? Because even when you see uh, Remy, you know, they're lifting Remy and taking him away, you know, they they tell him, hey, you know, this we're looking at Beth. There's other people looking at Beth saying, hey, this woman's still alive. And he's like, oh, I'll take care of her in a minute. Right. That's like, true. Like, like he was still business as usual. It was, it was a specific tone of for this man who is my best friend, I will do whatever I can to, to help him not to not suffer. Right. And, and so I, I think that's really where his, where his fantasy character and real character came in line. Right. Because there are multiple parts and that. I think that's, you know, honestly, some of the one part of what I think is great about the twist when you watch it a second time, there are multiple moments of where it's painfully obvious, right? And one of them is when we described when Jake turns and says to Remy, hey, is she really worth it? And he says yes, and then he stabs Frank so they can all get away and be happily ever after living together on the island, right? That is such a departure from right. all the the first half of the movie, right? Remy was trying to keep his wife and kid. And all he had to do was go into sales and do that, which he didn't want to, but he would have done it. And Jake stopped him from doing that. So, so that it's weird that with Jake, who would then think this woman that he'd never met is worth more than Remy's wife and kid, who he has known really the kid his whole life. The wife, for at least, I don't know, you got to figure they would have get married for what, at least a decade, right? Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. and, and his turn on that makes, would, would be one of those areas where, one of many in the twist where you're like, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right, right? But but I think that that really, to me, is the other part of where it feeds into the audience's, our will for this twist to work, and that we didn't have any attachment to the wife, so we didn't care about her, <laughs> right? But we have an attachment to Beth, because Beth is our heroine now, right? You know, our heroine heroine as in like female hero our heroine it's a heroine thank you yes our <laughs> so heroine now right so of course she's worth it so when jake changes he's like oh well jake realized beth is as awesome as we think beth is and so and and that's and that to me is part of the brilliance of the the twist not only that the what the twist is but the execution of the twist and and how it's right in front of you the whole time, yeah. but it's still done in such a way that it is a gut punch when you see what happens at the end. Yeah. You know, you're right. I, um, now that I think of it, uh, Jake, he, pre- he's pretty much in a position now where he is forced to just do nothing but work so that he can afford what he's doing for Remy. Yeah. So he'll definitely have to do a lot of that, but he loves his job. Right. So I don't, I don't think he views that as a down thing and he has no, he has no other family. For for Jake, Remy is his is his family. Yeah. And and yeah. And I think just to kind of put a the the this final point I want to make about this with the twist and everything about it is I think it is extremely well done, especially when after the fact 
we can spend just as much time talking about Remy as we can about Jake. And that it tells you two different stories in a, in a very interesting, different way. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. Now that we've talked about at length, what we like about this movie, what we find to be good about this movie. Uh, one of the last things we usually try to look at is what the filmmakers goals were in making the movie and whether or not they were achieved. And in the case of this movie, it wasn't really spelled out specifically anywhere what the aims of the filmmakers were, at least that I saw. But there was a novel called Repossession Mambo by Eric Garcia, which was the basis for this movie. And actually, Eric Garcia was one of the two writers for this movie. So he had a great deal to do with the making of this movie. And between... He made fun of the title of his own book. Right? Sorry. So between Eric Garcia and Garrett Lerner, who was the other writer, and then also Miguel Sapochnik, the director, really, I think their only actual big goal was to make a, a good screen adaptation of this novel. And while I haven't read the novel, I can say that I think that they achieved their goal because Eric Garcia seems to think that it was worthy, if you want to use that word. And obviously, from the conversation that we've had, it's a really great movie, regardless of what some of these stinking critics say. Uh, Yes, absolutely. It is a great movie. Um, We actually have glossed over significant portions of it so that, uh, you know, there, there's the, there's other things about this movie that are also great. I, 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 I think that you're, I think I agree with what you think the goals are there. Um, for me, the goals, when I thought about it, I thought that, I thought of filmmakers' goals as just to make a stylized action movie um, that uh, subversively makes a small point about the American medical industry, right? You know, because there is some of that in there. And I think, I think that last part, a lot because of the timing because of how much of a focal point the medical industry was in the nation's consciousness at the time that this movie was released. I think that there's a little bit of that in there, and that's kind of how it got greenlit. Um, but at the same time, I think that they made a really good, fun movie to watch. And so um, I believe that they really met both marks in that they provide an entertaining movie uh, that you can just kind of go with and, and go with and watch and, and ha- have a fun time at the well, then it's not at the movies anymore, but have a fun time at the movies. Um, or really start to delve into the deeper plot lines and throughputs and themes that are being discussed in this movie. Yeah. So this brings us to our final evaluation here on Silver Linings. Does this film, Repo Men, deserve the bad rap that it gets? Um, hell no. Hell no! <laughs> what is wrong with these people? Yeah, I, I have no idea. I, I, I love this movie. It is, it is great. It is entertaining. It is entertaining on the first watch. It is entertaining on the, I think I've seen it now three or four times. It's entertaining when we watch. I, I, I find that I, I legitimately don't understand in this case why people didn't like this, enjoy this movie. It, it, it blows my mind. I watched this movie and I'm, how is the score so low? I cannot, I really, cannot comprehend in my mind how that is. So I guess that brings us to our own rankings and ratings, as it were. What what do yeah, you can, what do you I can, go, I can go first mine. Um so on my flip chart page I ranked it uh it ranked the number seventy one out of uh, four hundred and five movies. And according to the flip chart uh, algorithm, that says that I should give the movie four stars, and I think that that is that it really is in line with what I think of the movie, right? It is it is definitely a four star with uh, and on Letterboxd it'd be four star with a heart, uh, but it's definitely a, a four star movie in that um, you know that it's such an enjoyable experience that I would definitely watch it again and have watched it multiple times, and I think that that is to me a a sign of a of a good enjoyable movie that you can watch multiple times and get different things out of it on on multiple watches. Right, I I agree. And similarly, my flick chart is it landed at number one hundred eighty nine out of fourteen eighty three, which is an eighty seven percent. 
and I give it a four and a half stars and a like on Letterboxd. And this movie, I was just, I was just so impressed with what this movie has to offer. I mean, not only is it just terrific action, uh, great sci-fi, but it has a lot of heart and it has a really great message to it. This has been Silver Linings, part of the next real family of film podcasts on TrueStory.fm. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and that we may have even inspired you to give this movie a second chance. If you'd like to get more involved with the Next Real community, visit thenextreel.com slash membership. For just a dollar a month, you can become a one reeler and join our online community in our Discord server. And for a few dollars more a month, become a two-reeler supporter and join us for show live streams as we record, early access to shows in your very own personal podcast feed, and access to the super-secret member channels in Discord. Plus, you can now support with a single annual donation at either level. Thank you to everyone who's joined us and to all who are checking us out. Your support allows us to keep producing and growing the next real family of podcasts here at truestory.fm. See you in the next episode. I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January, or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Mm-hmm.